0: Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. Thanks for joining us. we would love your feedback. Send us an email at Intellicast at EMI-RS.com. If you like the Prince music, or if you like previous music we've had on previous seasons, let us know. You can also follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research. Intellicast one on Twitter. Um, this is Brian Lamar. I'm your I guess I should say I'm the host of the You are the host. I'm the yeah. host of Intellicast. Um, today we have Jeremy Zogby. I'm so excited to have Jeremy Zogby on. We recorded the interview earlier, and it is a great interview. You get to learn about the Zogby history, how they started the company, Um, get to know Jeremy on a personal level. He's a very interesting guy. Um, They're super smart. Am I missing anything, Producer Brian? We
1: learn a little bit about his new podcast.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. His podcast, which is great. The Zogby Report. I wrote a LinkedIn blog about his podcast. It's fantastic. And speaking of podcasts, you can vote for our podcast. <laughs> it was nominated for a Market Research Podcast Award. Um, voting will be in the show notes. So yes. vote for us. Do not vote for Jamin.
2: I don't think SEMA either. Don't uh-uh. vote
0: for SEMA. They're garbage podcasts. They don't deserve any votes. Um, or any of the other, I don't know, seven or eight that are nominated. I'm kidding. There's like twelve of them. Yeah. I'm kidding. It's just it's cool to be nominated um and be listed among those other podcasts. Um there's a lot of that's one of the cool things about marketing research. There's a lot of podcasts to listen to. And if you um go to the show notes, click on the link. There's some that you probably weren't aware of. We weren't aware of all of those. Um so I have a few more to listen to. But among them would be the John Zogby Strategies podcast called the Zogby Report. Um before we get to that interview, which is lengthy, it could have been longer, but and we had a we had to shut down the studio because we were about to meetings, get kicked out, getting kicked out of the studio. Um, you'll have a special appearance by Baby Theo into the, later on in the interview, so keep an eye out for that or an ear out for that. Um, one quick note is that we will be going to the Quirks Conference in Brooklyn. That's March third and fourth, so it's right around the corner. Jason Enderhees will be there. Um, I went to Quirks in Chicago last year. It's a fantastic conference. Um, so he'll be running around, zipping around from session to session. I'm sure it's, it's chaos in Brooklyn. Um, I bet a lot of our listeners will be there. So I, I would expect famous. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, am I missing anything before we get to the interview? I think that's everything. Okay. Well, enjoy the interview with Jeremy. If you have any feedback, let us know. Um, thanks, and we'll see you next week. Joining us now is Jeremy Zogmi. He is a partner at John Zogby Strategies. Um, Jeremy, thank you for joining us.
1: Brian, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, welcome to the podcast. And I, I have Angela here joining us. Hi. <laughs> um, Hi, Angela. So Jer- Hi, Angela. Hello. So, Jeremy, you obviously um, maybe introduce yourself. I mean, you have a, a last name that I think a lot of our listeners and people in research may be aware of, but can you just quickly introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I'm Jeremy Zogby. Um, my dad, John Zogby, is is the uh, acclaimed, uh, uh, you know, renowned pollster, uh, the founder of uh, the Zogby Survey, the Zogby Poll, and uh, he's been at it for forty years. And and this is an environment that I grew up in. You know, uh, talks about politics um, around the table as as far back as I could remember uh, history growing up uh, with, you know, history books on the the bookshelf. So this is something that I've kind of watched. I've watched my dad evolve. You know, my dad started the business when I was one. I probably became aware of it when I was about five or six. So I've just seen all of this. And um, I've just always been fascinated and and wanted to, to follow it in my dad's footsteps.
0: Right. Cool. And but it's it looks like, based upon your LinkedIn, at least you didn't initially like join the company, right? You kind of, you kind of did a couple other things. Is that right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. By by uh, trade, I'm a history teacher, um, world history, uh, you know, American history, uh, the social sciences in general, geography, and uh, I've I've uh, in the last five years become really interested in in economics. So um, I started my path off as a teacher because. I thought I could really develop a lot of skills, with leadership, and precise communication, planning. And, um, you know, I remembering when I was in, in graduate school, uh, getting my master's and, and I had a, a mentor. We were all assigned a mentor. And I remember him saying to me, why, why aren't you doing what your dad does? You know, this this was 2006 and my dad was just on The Daily Show. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, that was a big thing. Everybody was, wow, yeah. your dad was on The Daily Show. And so my mentor was saying, why, why, why aren't you going to pursue this? And and I said, give me 10 years of teaching. That's all I want is 10 years, and I'm going to join my dad. And, and fast forward, it was nine years. <laughs> so I, I I had the foresight that I was going to be, yeah, that I was going to do this.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And uh, I have a feeling, though, that – all of the teaching and the history buff that you are kind of lends itself to what you do in your role. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. 100%. I'm yeah. going to back up a little and say that, that I did do some work with my dad when I was in grade school, in high school, <laughs> in college. So work, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I field work too, you know, um, but, <laughs> but back to your, your question on um, history, it's like, when we get a fresh data set and and we look at it before the client even sees it and you know we've got to start riffing about how we're going to report it's like you know a lot of people and i imagine especially the you know the the clients would see numbers and would have no idea what what to make of this some some do some some are very very good and very smart but uh, uh, you know other ones it's just a bunch of numbers and so history and demographics and and obviously current events, a uh, 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 strong understanding of that just makes the data come to life. And to be able to say, you know, this is what this means. Pay attention to, to, to this aspect of, of the data set.
0: Right. And I I do know from the limited analysis that I do and have done in my career that context is really everything. And so the fact that you've lived abroad and you um, understand history probably helps add a lot of context to the data, right? It's not just a number. It's something that is – you can understand that perspective possibly from that culture. You
1: hit the nail on the head because what you said right there was it's not just numbers. It's people. Right. we're, We're studying people. We're not, you know, we're studying groups of people and group dynamics, you know, can, can be difficult, but yes, if you know the culture of the population that you're targeting, if, if, if you know the history, if you know even the geography, all of the elements that go into to shaping a people, it, 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 if you know as much as you can, it makes a heck of a, a whole heck of a lot more sense.
0: Right. And we, again, we snuck a peek at your LinkedIn profile. It looked like you lived in Prague for a little while. What was, what was that like?
1: Man. Um,
0: <laughs> How old were you, by the way?
1: <laughs> I was, uh, I was a uh, 20, 24. I lived there for oh. two years. It was, um it was surreal. I, I still look back <laughs> on it and it's, it was like the whole thing was a dream. It was unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I've, I've visited Prague. um Probably a decade ago, so I was older than you were, and I just thought it was a beautiful. It's not really a city; it's more of a town, right? And um, yeah, yeah, castles and what you'd imagine. Like, I guess it's technically Central Europe, but I was thinking it was more Eastern European. But I just thought it was a beautiful city, and I could I could not imagine living there in my mid twenties. So that's that's pretty amazing.
1: It, it was. It, it had a huge impact on me um, in in so many ways. You know, I. I I went there and I immediately noticed the, the difference in the culture yeah. and, and I didn't, I didn't want to be one of those expats that that stuck out like a sore thumb. So yeah. I, one of the things I noticed right away was how stone faced people were in public.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, yeah.
1: You know, and like, it was just like, are, are these people miserable? Or, I mean, why are they miserable? They live in a gorgeous country in a beautiful city, but it, it was something that was kind of uh left over from communism where you you were very careful about what you said in public and what you showed because you were always being watched you could be being spied on by your neighbors there were the the party had a whole network of of intelligence and spies and and i don't think that really ever left the adult population that lived through communism and so i noticed that and and I just, you know, I didn't want to be that smiley American. So i, I that was one yeah. thing that, that changed me right away, right off the bat.
0: Yeah, I noticed – I felt like you could tell a big difference. And I wasn't sure if it was like a – because of the communism background. But I noticed that with like that whole region, I went – I was fortunate to go to um, – Vienna and to Budapest and to Prague and yeah the older generation definitely were I don't know if the word's hardened and stone faced but the younger generation felt like very Western to me is you were I was there a few days you were there years so is that is that kind of fair to say that you can see kind of the influence of I guess capitalism? Um,
1: well yeah I mean the, the, you know um, the, of, of 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 the West yeah uh, and especially yeah. Right. So if you so if you were observing teenagers and, and people in their early 20s, then you would have seen that, you know, more smiley, more uh, reveal, you know, where, where are your emotions on your sleeves. But really anybody kind of above that who who right. um, went to school under the regime and, you know, learned all the, you know, uh, you know, what the regime wanted them to think. Yes, they they. They were very stone-faced. So there was that divide.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, let's move on to kind of what you do at, at John Zogby Strategies. Uh, this is an election year, I'm assuming, um, at least in the U.S. it is. I'm assuming you're pretty busy with polling here in the U.S. and probably a lot of uh, other global issues.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, election seasons are always busy. Um, people, you know, a lot of clients always know it get in touch with us. Um, if they haven't done work with us before, uh, there's, you know, and and I'm just telling you what we hear, you know, um, back in September out of the blue, we got a a request, uh, uh, I'm sorry, no, not, not December back in December, this, this was leading up to Brexit. Um, and like three or four days before the vote on, on Brexit. And we got a call from, from one of the parties and, we got to get a poll done in two days. Um, oh yeah, sure, great. You know, we, we can we can do that. And they wanted to, to poll small business owners. And I think by now I can say who who the client was. <laughs> they won. It was it was, the, it was the it was the it was the Tories. It was it was Johnson's okay. party, and okay. um, they basically wanted to have data to show whether or not American businesses. Uh, if the UK were, were, or Britain were gonna you know go through with brexit whether um, it was real or not that American companies would would want to drop them so oh wow anyway the, the reason why they called us we found out is because if they were going to take the results uh, to the media, nobody was going to question the Zogby poll. Oh, cool. so I, I just we never, you know, uh, worked with, with this party before, but they wanted to do it so quickly. We, we went in the field, we got them the results. And I I was just so pleased to hear that, that even abroad, you know, that, that there's this, uh, respect for, for the work
0: that we do. No, that's, that's That's awesome. Yeah. Cool.
2: So with that in mind, where do you guys see yourselves going in the next couple of years? Are you going to stick with the political polling or branch out to other things?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's always going to be a part of our identity because that's how my dad made it. Um, and, and you know, I, I we can you know when we get to the topic about the history of the brand, I, I can show you how that developed too. But um, we'll continue. But uh, I would say as of twenty sixteen maybe even a little bit before my father wanted to to kind of maybe, you know, tone it down a little bit. You know, he was so much in the media with the elections in 96, and 2000 and 2004. And it's, it's, you know, it's rough. It's a tough business. If you get, you know, all eyes are on you. And I think, you know, within the last five or six years, we've agreed that we're not going to say no to customers, but it's not necessarily going to be our, you know, our main thing it, it, in terms of business. It never was. It was the most right. it was the most talked about. It was the most, um, you know, uh, in in the public eye. But really, it's our organizational work, you know, with whether it's an NGO, a nonprofit, a, a, a small business, a large business. That's the, you know, the, uh, the, the bulk of, of our business. But to answer your question, where do we see ourselves going? I mean, for me, what I, what I would like to do more and more of would be what I call work uh, culture assessment. You know, employee engagement surveys to be able to go into an organization and interview the leadership, interview middle management and, and some of the, you know, the entry level workers and then survey the whole company and just figure out where there are the gaps. You know, is everybody on board with what the brand is, what the values are? I think a lot of organizations don't have that alignment. I, I know a lot of organizations don't. And that's kind of the work that I'm fat, most fascinated by.
2: I, too, am fascinated by that. That's actually, you know, something I've always been passionate about as well. So that's quite interesting. I think Brian was going to ask you about the history of your
1: brand.
0: Yeah. You kind of alluded to it. I'd love to hear more about kind of the, you talked about it a little bit, but more about the history of uh, what your father did and the brand name. Um, If you have anything else to add to that, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. So I mean this for, for your listeners, this is probably going to be new stuff. You, you won't find this on Wikipedia. Um, (laughs) Oh, perfect. So, I read that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what you got to know about my dad is his background, and and of course, I, I followed in this was was, uh, was history. Uh, so he was a, a history major. He focused on on American history, mainly, and and um, and, and politics. So he went through the seventies as a, a, a radical. You know, um, he was, I guess you could say was a Marxist. I, I can't say of which <laughs> of which strain he was, you know, like a lot of people were in, yeah. in the 60s and 70s. He was a radical. He was a protester. He became a community organizer before we even knew what that term was, right? Right. <laughs> and um, so he was a professor with, with a leftist background and um, he, he would organize people. And in in our community in Utica, he was taking on, I guess you could say, the powers that be. One of the things he was, um, you know, on the ground organizing and and um, calling for action was um, free lunch for the inner city uh, kids in schools um, uh, to take on the the, uh, the the utility companies that were. know jacking up the price and and calling he was calling for a municipal owned um you know energy uh, institution and then he ran for mayor in 1981 i believe it was 81 it was before me i was born in 83 (laughs) and uh well he wanted to know how he was doing so in typical fashion like my dad he went to the public library and he took out probably ten books on public opinion research. And he, well, I, I, I want to know how I'm doing, so I got to conduct a poll. So he he gathered a, a few of his students from from uh, his college courses, and offered them uh, extra credit, bought bought a few phones and um, put them to task. He tallied up the results, and he actually called his own defeat to the percent. <laughs> I don't remember what the numbers were, but it, it was low. But he was dead on. Oh, that's, and, that's
2: amazing. Uh,
1: by the way, he took one class in statistics and he got a D in it with his sophomore year in college.
0: It's amazing how many stories are like this. Like I you went know, to the library, I read a book, I got a D in statistics, but then, you know, 40 years later, he's got a, a brand name that carries a lot of weight, right?
2: Successful author.
1: So um, he, you know, he kept that in the back of his mind. He knew it was fun, but then, you know, he was, uh, my uncle, uh, as you, you may know is, is, very active in, in um, Arab-American issues and mobilizing the Arab-American vote. He has an organization in in, in D.C., Arab-American Institute. He I, had been at the forefront of the peace processes during the, the Clinton years. Uh, anyway, before that, he was building up his network uh, in, in D.C. And my dad, you know, uh, still living in Utica, went to work with him. That didn't work out. My dad uh, ended up becoming a consultant for a a guy involved in New York state politics and um, was actually getting really good pay. I think he told me it was a thousand thousand bucks a week in the early 80s. Okay. Yeah. By this time I'm on board, I'm a baby (laughs) and the guy drops dead. Oh my. So what's my dad going to do? He's got three boys and he, scratches his head and he's like you know that polling thing you know that was kind of fun so (laughs) he had really no other choice but to start a business and what was he going to offer he was going to offer public opinion research so that's how it all got started
0: wow that's pretty amazing
1: it's uh it's it's a it's an unbelievable story um and and it just goes to show for all those people out there who who think that they got to know what they're going to be when they're 18 or 25 or 30. Sometimes you don't figure out till you're 35 or 40. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's just about time and place and need. And it's just, you never know what factors are going to influence you. Right.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: And so um, now you're doing a lot of like current election stuff. Um, I did notice um, you all talk a lot. I'll talk about, we'll talk about the podcast here in a second, but sure. um, you're doing research. I think you did some in Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada, and um, you're trying to track the Democratic primary is one of the main things you're doing. And um, are, what kind of polls are you doing? Are yeah, you doing so- Nevada? Are you doing some others that are more current and relevant?
1: We're, we're actually not doing um, the, the primaries and caucuses as, okay. of, as of now. We're not. That's not to say that we won't be. Um, but right now, our, our, you know, our big poll in, in the, the sphere of, of politics is one that we're doing with Forbes, Forbes.com. Okay. And um, this is a tracking survey leading up uh, to the election uh, every month uh, of 18 to 29-year-olds nationwide. And so, um, we can actually claim that that this is the biggest poll of its kind. I know Harvard does one, and they do three thousand. And although we're only doing a thousand monthly over the course of ten months, and and by the way, each each one of those um, polls of a thousand uh, likely voters, eighteen to twenty nine years old, e- each month will be a new sample. We're going to have sampled ten thousand, and so right. nobody's nobody's done that. On a, uh that would be Gen Z and younger millennials, yep. so that's what we're doing. We did round one and we showed uh, Sanders was at the forefront. Um, Buttigieg did not do so hot, but again, that was only capturing 18 to 29 year olds. So, yep. um, uh, for those who were following our poll and, and may have been disappointed by what happened in Iowa, understand that that was a nationwide survey. And it was oh, it. of just an age group. So um, we're about to get ready to to do round two, probably um, right after Nevada. And um, yeah, we'll we'll be tracking that all the way up to
0: the election. And and this, did you choose eighteen to twenty nine year olds for any any certain reason?
1: Well, um, it's because uh, Forbes um, they ah. uh, the their. Um, so they have all these different parts of, of their website. This is 30 under 30 or, or the, the under 30. So it was fitting with the readership.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting demographic because they typically are less likely to vote, but if they vote, um, you know, more than they typically do, they can really influence the election. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Saw that in 2008. That was 2000. Yeah. Was huge. Um, we saw that on the other side in Iowa. My understanding is that uh, it was down thirty percent, the eighteen to twenty nine vote in, um, in in Iowa. So, if I'm right about that, I do remember seeing that. There, you, that's that's why Sanders. Otherwise, Sanders probably would have um, would have uh, taken that uh, in a breeze.
0: Right. I think it's a good measure. I think it's a good indicator of like energy of a candidate, like Obama, obviously. He had so much energy, and maybe that's why it's down thirty percent. Is the at least the perceived lack of um, a candidate that everybody's rallying behind?
1: Yeah, I mean, just look at the last look at the last two big big candidates, right? So Obama was coming off of an extreme low with Bush. Bush, by the end of his presidency, I mean, he was polling. I think he may have actually. He 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 may have dipped below twenty percent. If yeah. if not, then it was low twenties. And so Obama came and a huge excitement. I was in Prague during that time, by the way. Okay. And and the excitement was 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 in Prague. Uh, oh wow! For, for Obama, um, they, yeah, the, Europe, the, the, they loved him. Um, and then you know, coming after eight years of Obama, that didn't. Uh, yeah. I mean, depending on who you talk to, I guess, but I'm trying to be objective here. Uh, you know, he, he left office not doing so hot with, with his uh, approval rating either. And so right. he went from a high to another uh, extreme low and then who comes around and excites the base Trump, right? The right. the reality TV star who infused that into politics. And right. so it's like the question going into 2020 is, if the, if the Dems are going to beat Trump, who can bring that kind of excitement like what we saw uh, the previous two times with with Trump and then Obama? Who can sustain that kind of excitement? I've been making that case uh, for, for, for a while now. You know, a lot of people, I, I'll include even, even my father, thought that person was going to be Joe Biden. But yeah. I... I to me, it's it, it was Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is that guy who yes. can have that similar effect.
0: Yes, and and speaking of Bernie Sanders, I think that uh, or you said on the podcast that um, I might have been your father, so hopefully I'm not misspeaking there, but. Um, that Trump will likely portray, regardless of who the Democratic candidate is as a socialist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will probably be a challenge um, for the Democratic Party. Um, any, any thoughts on on that? Do you agree with that?
1: I think that's incredibly valid. Um, yeah. I, I, I think so at, 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 because it's a useful tactic. Right. And in a sense, it, it's it's kind of convincing. I mean, of course, there's a, a huge wing of the, the Democratic Party that's that's moderate. Um, I, I can't say uh, numbers off the top of my head, what percentage, but everybody you know who follows this stuff knows that it's the progressives and it's the moderates, but there's crossover because right. there, there are issues where a moderate could actually get on board with a progressive um, policy, which you could argue... If it's a progressive policy, depending on what it is, uh, intellectually speaking, there are there's some crossover with democratic socialists and progressives. Right. So if it's the minimum wage, yeah, I mean that that in the countries that are have democratic uh, uh, socialists in, in power, um, that's something that you could see. Of course, Medicare for all. So yeah, I mean that that's something to be expected from Trump. Okay. Absolutely.
0: And I'd love – I've mentioned it a couple of times. I'd love to talk about your podcast, The, the Zogby Report. I listened to a couple episodes this past weekend. I loved it. And I'm not just saying that. I, um, I think you and your father have good chemistry and I think that someone – I'm kind of a news junkie. I'm obviously not – I'm – As expert in it as you guys are. But I felt like it was really you two. You mentioned earlier that um, it's a conversation that you all had when you were younger, but that's what it sounds like. It sounds like you two kind of having a political or current events topic in your living room that you're just putting on a podcast. And that's, to me, that's that's what's so good about it. Uh, So yeah, I'd love to hear more about your podcast.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we had been talking about it for a while. A bunch of people, when um, when we started John's Ivy strategies by the way John's Ivy strategies consists of my father myself and and my brother and and we're all uh, equal partners in in this uh in this venture uh, at some point I hope to get my brother on onto the podcast but um, <laughs> he said for now that was something he would pass on but it would be even more intriguing because he's um he's a little bit older than me still a millennial but uh-huh. you know um yeah, I mean, he's uh, w- way more advanced than I am. Uh, very smart guy. Um, but the so the, the, our podcast, we we had been hearing from a lot of people, you guys got to do a podcast. And we're just like, yeah, you know, one time I took it upon myself to do some research to figure out what were some successful elements. And we never got around to it. And then after the new year, and it wasn't even a new year's resolution, my dad on one day was just said, we're going to do it. So within three days we did it and uh, we were both surprised with the speed. We went into the studio um, at a local business incubator, a guy that was had all the equipment and said, yeah sure I'll, you know I'll be your sound guy and we had <laughs> one we had one cut. Uh, I had you know I had a few bullet points of, of um, right you know things to, to talk about, but it was just a conversation that, we didn't plan, uh, hence the name, uh, real and and uh, and uh, unrehearsed or, or unscripted, right. and we just kind of both looked at each other and said, "Wow, that 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 was you know pretty easy." So we've been keeping it up, and you know the the thing that we're trying to achieve here is that this you know I I feel in the 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 uh, the sphere of politics that. It's ugly. It's it's nasty that mm-hmm. people don't want to have conversations anymore. People don't want to be friends uh, with, with other people because of who they vote for. And it's it's pretty despicable. Um, but then there's an other dynamic to it now with age, ageism. And I'm seeing I feel like more and more resentment of people in their 20s and 30s towards, you know, baby boomers who are established, have made it, they've, you know, either they have a pension system uh, or they're going to have a pension. And and I just feel like there's this mounting, um, uh, I I guess you could say animosity coming from the the younger generation. Okay. Boomer is the meme, right? Yeah. And so what my dad and I wanted to, to really capture as the backdrop was to, to demonstrate to the public, this is how you have two people from completely different back, uh, generations with a, a very different worldviews, but can still talk about the events and not try to put a spin on it in, in a way that, uh, you know, like uh, honestly, like what CNN and Fox do. They're just trying to tell you how to think. We don't want to tell you how to think. We just want to tell you what's going on and what you need to pay attention to.
0: That's exactly how I felt, honestly, when I was listening to it. Was that I, you wouldn't know by listening to it that your dad in the '70s was this, you know, radical leftist, right? When I listened to it, I <laughs> feel like I'm getting informed, and I don't know what political party. It's irrelevant what political party you are. I thought it was very fair. You're not getting the spin of any either left spin or right spin. And by the way, we have a, another question off topic for you: is sure. is that you have a baby in the background? Is that how old is that your child? <laughs>
1: Oh wow! Uh, I, you could hear my baby. Um, my, my baby is a uh, Th- uh, Theo. Is yeah. his name Theo? And, okay. Um, he's uh, sorry about that. Um, no, don't apologize. We, we like adorable. Yeah, how old is Theo? Theo is is a, a year and uh, and four months. Okay. And um, and actually, my my wife is eight months pregnant. And oh my gosh! Oh, in middle March, uh, we're going to have a, a girl, Isabella.
0: Oh. Congratulations! No, Theo, I think has been singing in the background. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he
2: wants to be on the podcast.
0: Yeah, he wants to be on as well. No, that's cool. Um, that's, do, you have any, do you have any? Yeah, go ahead, Angela. Yeah,
2: actually, I was going to say, you know, I am not somebody who normally listens to political podcasts, or I usually turn it off when it comes on TV. It's just something that you know, when I grow up, you never spoke about. And you're right, the generations now. I, you know, and people just can't seem to get along if you like somebody else. So you hit the nail right on the head. And I just think it's great listening to you and your dad because it was very, um, how do you say, it was just really nice and refreshing to hear without any agenda. Like you were just trying to educate people. And I love that. So it was really good to listen to, to it, even though I'm not somebody who would normally tune into that. So great job. And I plan to listen more.
1: I really appreciate that. And, and, you know, you said, um, I, uh, about, you know, uh, when you were growing up, politics wasn't something that we were necessarily into. So to me, like you're, you're the, the perfect, you're the perfect demographic that, that we want to reach is, you know, people who, who, are so set in their ways and in, in their political views and in the way that they consume media. Um, I, I would love them to listen. I, I hope they do. And I, I welcome, but we also would like to, to bring the people on board who, who, you know, didn't have that background like I did uh, current events, always being discussed. We want to make it digestible and we want to make it so that it's um it's sensible. So I, I thank you for saying that.
0: Oh my pleasure! Yeah, so there's plenty of podcasts out there. It's what, what I've learned by having a podcast, this is our third year, and we had somebody reach out to us last week that said that they had four hours to kill, and like you know, ours is 30 minutes a week. Yours is 30 minutes a week. There's so much room there out there go. for for podcasts in our industry. There's so we, you've got to, got it. I think it had a good time, and I think you you'll have a niche um, and a lot of listeners. So I'm rooting for you guys. Thank you. Um, let's move on to some more fun stuff. Um, sometimes we do research rants on the show and most researchers I know can complain about something because things in research never go right. There's always something to complain about. Um, not that you'd be a complainer, but do you have a rant you'd like to bring us about research?
1: Yeah, I actually, I have a couple. (laughs) Oh yes, let's do it. Two for one. Um, first one is, is, is pretty close to home. Um you know, we, we mostly do online methodology and uh, it's not that we won't do telephone or, or phone based. It's just that it's so cost prohibitive. Yep. And, you know, you know, I guess there was a time in the nineties that people were willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, <laughs> uh, right. but not so, not so much right anymore. Right. Um, so, The thing that bothers me, and and I'll be honest with you, we we just um, we just uh, uh, I don't want to say we lost a client, but we have a client who we we did a poll with online and they were happy with it. And they went to their PR people to to try and get some placement in uh, the major newspapers. And they were going to they were in touch with somebody from The New York Times and The New York Times criticized the online methodology. Well, you know, I I don't know. I don't know about that online. This This is something that that this is something that my dad has been doing since the late nineties. I mean, right. I I think he is the pioneer in, in online. So it's not like just something that came out of nowhere. I mean, we're we're going back over 20 years. Right. Um, So, so what bothers me is that. I, 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 I'm going to ask you a question. What yeah. what what what's the internet connection uh, rate in this country?
0: I would think ninety percent. I've seen ninety-four percent. Okay, yeah, um, just about everybody, right?
1: Yeah, I I, I just I, I asked you because I wanted to see if you would come up with something drastic. That's close. So <laughs> so we're, we're on the same page here. Um, basically, nine out of ten. Let's let's parse that a little bit, you know, uh, and let's say if uh, if you're a household of of, of, uh, of two parents, I'm sure at least nine time out of ten times or nine out of ten uh, likely to have um, Internet. Right. If you're a household with one parent, I would still think you're nine uh, uh, out of ten likely to have uh, to have Internet. So when we're getting into the people that don't have internet, we're, we're looking at extreme poverty. Well, let's yeah. say the homeless. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're homeless in a city, you can get to a, a, a public library. Yeah. Right. If, uh, now, I worked when, when I was in graduate school, I, I worked for a homeless shelter and I drove an outreach van. So I, I, I know that our shelter, and this was in Albany, New York. Uh, and this was back in 2005. The homeless shelter had internet connection. So I mean, it's like trying to figure out that small number of, of the population that don't have access to internet is 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 so narrow and and is so I want to say insignificant
0: mm-hmm.
1: that what's my question is what's the beef with online? So. You contrast um, that with phone, right? So contrast that with phone, yeah. and so let's roll with. The, you said ninety percent. I'm saying ninety four. Let's roll with ninety four. The last time that you had a response rate, or not a response rate. I'm sorry, um, landline connection that was in in the nineties was in the early eighties. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, what, what I'm trying to to say here is is that. And I, I'll call them the gatekeepers of truth. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe they're, sorry to call it institutions, but, you know, probably APOR, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. They are so, they are still clinging on to telephone methodology. Right. Keep, 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 keep te- telephone methodology. Don't Don't throw it out the window. But don't yeah. tell me something that's been developing for two decades now and has a penetration uh, or, or a connection rate of, of, of at least 90%, D- don't make it seem like this is witchcraft. And I just want to end on, on this note with, with this part of, of the research rant. This is, you know, like, and this is, this is me bringing the history into it. Um, I, I try to look for a parallel. W- look at Copernicus in the 1500s when he debunked the notion that the earth was at the center of the solar system. And right. he proved that it, that it was, no, it, the sun is is at the center of the system. And, of course, he was criticized. And then 200 years later, Galileo came out and, and with even sharper math proved it. Do you know that the Catholic Church finally issued an apology to Galileo in the early 90s?
0: Oh, my gosh. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it, either. It took
1: that long Pope long John Paul, Pope John Paul II, I think it was ninety-one or ninety two, finally issued an apology to Galileo, who was long gone. So yeah. I, I what I'm drawing an analogy is you get these institutions that see themselves as the gatekeepers of truth, and as soon as somebody presents a different model to them, forgive me for my language, they start pissing in their boots. Yeah. And Agreed. So, you know when when are we going to get that that apology letter from from uh, the gatekeepers? Yeah. I don't know, but
0: hopefully not two hundred years. <laughs> yeah, maybe Theo's children will um give the apology. <laughs> um, but I agree with your rant. This I, this is, I think, I guess, the sixth at least the sixth presidential election that we've seen online polling in. I've did a webinar last week about polling, and I worked at Harris Interactive, um, not not too awful far from where you guys are in the 2000 election, and they were pretty close on that election. And that was 2000, and we've evolved quite a bit in methodology and um, polling online since then. I, I do hope that – I think we saw a little bit of it last – the APOR conference last year, that they're starting to see cracks in that telephone methodology. So um, we'll see, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and the other thing too is is that at the end of the day, they're by and large academics. APOR. Yeah, I would like I would like to see those guys work on a, a small budget. You know, <laughs> right. I'd like, to, I'd like them to get a client who says, "Look, I, I've got thirteen or fifteen thousand dollars, and I need you to do a poll in a week." I, I don't even think that they would. I don't even think in a week that they could conclude on a meeting what they're going to do right so yeah, agreed you know um, I'm, so, I'm sorry sorry to to no. you know, to do that but and then one other thing if we still have time as far as a research rant unless you want to move on to something else
0: um maybe we should move on i know producer brian has we have to get going i think okay we have sure. a lot of more questions for you we um typically do the four p's from the marketing mix, but we switch it up. And I'm going to put a couple of Ps on here that aren't on here because of recent events on our podcast. Um, do you have a Prince story or do you have a Publix story? Um, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> exactly, um, Prince. Um, we've always talked about Prince on the podcast, and I feel like most people have some sort of Prince-related story. And then secondly, for Publix, we recently went to Publix in, had the greatest service of our lives in a public in the South. Maybe it's a Wegman's story. Do you you live you live in? in um, I'm assuming there's a Wegman's nearby. Do oh you, you uh, have... yeah,
1: 45 minutes west is Wegman's, and then it's it split uh, almost like in dead center um, New York State. So uh, actually, where we are, it's Hannaford. Okay. Wegman's Wegman's can't come uh, to the eastern half, and Hanford oh, really go to the yeah. They have an agreement.
0: Okay. Man, I've learned so much about grocery stores the past two weeks. All right. Let's move on to the next P. That is perform. Um, what is something that people don't know about you? Do you have a hidden talent?
1: Um, I, I uh I, I love drums. I, 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 I play drums. Um I uh I it's 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 getting harder with, with a baby and two babies coming <laughs> yeah. soon, but I, I still manage to find time to to just let loose and, and just jam out. So that, that's one of my favorite things to do in my free time
0: okay how have you been playing drums were you little when you started playing oh 15 15 years old I bought my that's first cool. kit yeah that's I'm
2: sure my your parents love that
0: my um, my son's <laughs> 18 my son's 18 he was he used to play drums now he plays guitar but every once in a while he'll break out the drums um, surprisingly guitar is louder and more disruptive I think um, He must, he must be uh, learning from, uh, from the quiet drummers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess so. I don't know what it is. Um, Next is podcast. Do you have any, you seem like you're probably a podcast listener. Do you have any favorite podcasts you can share with us?
1: You know, um, I, I, I don't, well, I'll tell you who my favorite is, but I, I'm there. Like you said, there's so many out there and, and I, I've tried uh, different people, but I Still think I still maintain that the gold standard is Joe Rogan, um, yeah, and and specifically because the, the he, ah, man, he, he's he's really brazen because you know, um, he the, the topics that he gets into are, are like forbidden knowledge, they're not supposed to be discussed, right? Um, you know, any professor, most professors. Would just you know look at you. Most people would, would look at you like you're insane. But look at the popularity that he has, and look at the stuff he gets into. And I, I just think he's so brave to put his um uh, his brand on the line by not being afraid to to sit down with some of the most controversial people. Yeah, and, it's risky. and yeah, go go at it for four hours. So I I yeah. I, I love I, I've I've actually listen to probably a dozen of his all the way through where, you know, that's three, three right. hours.
0: So that's awesome. Um, pages. Do you have any books, authors that you recommend?
1: Um, man, you're asking that to a former history teacher, right? <laughs> um, probably a lot of options out there. Well, I'll say, all right. So I'm finishing up this one book and I'm about to start this new book. I'll share two titles. One is, um, it's called Hamilton's Curse. It's a it's about uh, Alexander Hamilton, the founding father, um, and it's a it's 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 critical though. It's it's you know contrary to you know the especially recently such a surge in popularity with, with Hamilton and um, and very positive. This this one's critical, but it, it goes back to the original debates between Jefferson and Hamilton, and I'm I I'm a firm believer. That our political debates have, have gone out of whack, um, are completely, uh, watered down. And right. I, I, believe that we need to return to the, uh, to the beginnings, um, that that's where the real political, uh, issues are at. And so this book, uh, if your readers are interested in, in what we should really be talking about, it's the stuff that we were talking about when this country was founded. So Hamilton's curse. And then, um, Excuse me, I just turned this off. And then uh, a, another book is by uh, Nassim Taleb, the author of The Black Swan. I'm not reading The Black Swan. I'm reading his follow-up called Anti-Fragile. Okay. And um, yeah, it's. I mean, basically, it's it's just um, you know, in a world where there are a lot of black swans and things can go wrong, right? What are you going to do to ensure that you you thrive? And and so I, I think those are two really good books that are going to give me a, a lot of mileage in the years to come.
0: Well, that's awesome. Um, Jeremy, thanks for coming on. Um, interesting story about um, your family history and polling and your background. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And um, where can people find you and can, how do they reach you? Do you want to plug anything?
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, if, if, if you, obviously you can go to www.johnzogbystrategies.com. And, uh, you know, if, if you if you if you need a poll done, you can email me if you have any questions about things, you can email me. Um, and then, you know, my LinkedIn is is, uh, you know, obviously my name, Jeremy Zogby. I'm not on Facebook and Twitter. Um, okay. I thought LinkedIn was enough, but
0: yeah, so <laughs> yeah.
1: that that's uh, that that's where you can find me.
0: Awesome. Again, thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate you joining us and um, we'll talk to you later.
1: Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Angela, for, for having me on. And um, I hope we get to do this again.
2: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: This
1: podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.